mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 131 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective. We are powered by Audio Technica, and I'm your host, John Peck, back again with another fantastic voice actor. If you missed my previous episode with Doug Cockle, aka Geralt of Rivia, that is a great one to check out. But this week, we've got Gavin Hammond on the show, best known as Kenny on Telltale's Walking Dead seasons one and two. But he's also had really big roles in a bunch of other games I'm a fan of. Uh, he's Jonas in Oxenfree, which is a really cool supernatural kind of mystery adventure game developed by Night School Studio, who you may have heard of as the developers behind After Party, which is due to come out this year. He was Donatello in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutants in Manhattan. You might know him from Halo 4. You might have heard him in Far Cry 5. Been working consistently in voiceover and especially video games for the past kind of 15 years or so. But as a bonus to talking to Gavin, it came up halfway through. Something that I'd forgotten about him was he was a drummer previous to this in Dancehall Crashes, which is a punk ska band mostly known from their work in the 90s. As one of those prolific Warped Tour bands, we had a great chat about him playing with bands like Blink-182, No Doubt, No Effects, Bad Religion, Unwritten Law. Dancehall Crashes were a huge part of that 90s scene, and they're some of my favorite bands, so I had such a great time kind of prodding him about that, and I really wish I could have talked to him more about it, but I knew probably most listeners were here for the video games, not so much the ska music. Nevertheless, it was really interesting and fascinating to get that insight from someone that's been quite successful in these two separate industries, being music and acting. And speaking of ska music, my new podcast, Comedy Rewind, is just about to put out an episode on the 1998 classic Basketball, which features ska prominently in the soundtrack, especially Real Big Fish. That was a really fun time with Benny and Ali from 8-Bit. Our previous episode is up on The Big Lebowski, so you can check that one out already. And we're having a really fun time with Comedy Rewind, so give that a listen if you haven't checked it out yet. But for now, here is Gavin Hammond to talk all about his career in music and voice acting. Enjoy the show. Did you say that you just came come from a session? Is that a secret project or is that... It is a secret project, yes. Um, it's for an existing game that's been around a really, really long time. Okay. And it's um, something I had never worked for this developer before, and I was really, really excited to do so. But I can't, I can't say what it is. That's cool. I was going to make a few guesses, but then I'd put you in an awkward position where you have to either awkwardly laugh. Or... I would just lie. I would lie <laughs> yeah. really convincingly, or I would kind of tell you the truth, but I would, I yeah. would lie. You guys are good at that. Yeah. You've got to be. It's, it's part of the skill, isn't it? Oh the God, NDA yes. Thing. Well, it's just. I mean, oh yeah, I'm a walking NDA. Just because it's like, I either know somebody that did something, or I was in something, or I saw mm. something. It's you just you, you can never talk about anything. Yeah. But no, I lie all the time. It's that's our natural. That's uh, you know, voice actors' natural habitat is just yeah. make making it up. So make believe, yeah. yeah. I mean, you've got you've got uh, a leg to stand on ethically there because it's you know you've oh. signed something and well, it's know. all good. <laughs> it, it doesn't even have to be under NDA to lie about it, you know. It's part of the performance. We'll lie just about anything at all, really. <laughs> yes, yes, very good. All right, well, thanks for coming on the show, Gavin. It's uh, great to talk to you. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to 
to expand my cast of Walking Dead alumni. Nice. I had a really great time talking to Melissa. So um, really... She is lovely. She's one of my very favorite people. And Sissy Jones as well. I, f- I forgot uh, another your, uh, of my very, wife. Another yeah. of my very favorite people. Yes, she's my yeah. VO wife, which is also... Melissa is also my VO wife. It's weird. Is that from uh, Wolf Among Us? Yes. Yeah, Wolf Among Us. And go. there may there may have been something else too. I don't remember. We... Um, <laughs> Like in a commercial, you know, like radio oh, okay. spots, weird stuff like that. Uh, okay, cool. So you've worked together quite a bit. Oh, yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah, I've known uh, cool. Sissy. I've only known, we, we really kind of met during The Walking Dead. And it was after we had finished That it. was our first game, yeah. That was, yeah. I mean, I th- I would have thought I'd bumped into her um, at Voice Tracks because we both took lessons at uh. Uh, voiceover school in uh, Sausalito, California. But um, I started like way earlier than she did and she Hmm. was successful much faster than i was so uh, but um yeah so i think we really did meet on the walking dead and uh she's Hmm. super super cool melissa and i had known each other for a while because we would go to weird castings where we'd have to go to a casting agency or we'd have to go to the agency and we'd you know meet and she's just the nicest little person ever and so mm-hmm. it's naturally, everybody knows her and loves her. Yes, I can vouch for her niceness, definitely. And even just voice actors in general, at least the ones that I've come into contact with, maybe it's because they're nice enough to do a podcast, but they just <laughs> seem to have a down-to-earth nature. And just, uh, I've, like I've said to, to Doug Cockle on the last podcast, they get to live in this world where they can walk about relatively unrecognized, but then they can still turn up to a convention and, and be a rock star. So you kind of get to live... The best of both worlds in that sense. Oh, and the very best part is that they get to work for, you know, maybe three hours a day. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe they work four or five, six times a week, you know, and yeah. uh, it's uh, can be very lucrative. It's uh, it's the best job in the world if you can. Yeah. If you can find work. But no, I've never met like a real jerky voice actor. <laughs> I, I'm sure I have, but they don't last very long because it's so easy for you know for casting people they have such like a wealth of talent available to them that it's like they remember you if you're cool if you're nice and mm, you show up mm. and you just you know you don't need anything you don't want anything you do your job quick you just want to like give them whatever they need and you know get out of their hair and don't bug them you know it's it's yeah it really kind of that networking and that work ethic helps so much that i think if you're jerky you probably just kind of flash out yeah, that's a really good point. Like, then, th- as, as talented as, as these people are, they aren't a reason that people are buying the game. So it's not like, you know, Tom Cruise can be a jerk, but he's going to make millions of dollars for the studio. So you've got to bring him back regardless. Well, I mean, for celebrity, yeah. that I mean, it, celebrity, it doesn't matter. You know, because it's yeah. like you might not be the nicest person, but you may still have that car campaign for like nine mm. and a half years, you know, which is totally yeah. not a reference to anyone specific. So if anybody <laughs> has had like a nine and a half year car, you know, thing, and I've just totally tried to out them, I'm not, I promise. But, you know, I mean, you can still have that gig and, yeah. you know, be fine. But in, in the smaller stuff, when you're not Troy Baker or Nolan North, you know, who are really cool guys too you know it's just like for people like me smaller you know smaller sort of not as well-known voice actors we have to be cool otherwise yeah they won't hire you <laughs> yeah i mean even with nolan and troy like they are oh really yeah 
at the, at the top of the game, but I don't know how many people would be like, oh, did you see there's a new Troy Baker game? I'm going to pick it up regardless of what it's about, who made it, you know, that kind of thing. Well, no, that's the interesting thing too is, and it's like uh, Laura Bailey, especially, it's like I might buy it because they're in it, but it's like yeah. you, you buy those games because they're great and all the studios hire those actors because they're mm. amazing. And it's like, it'll be fantastic. You know, but yeah, people don't like have that name sort of association, but they'll do that with celebrities in games sometimes. And people often just don't care that much. But, you know, <laughs> you put yeah. really good voice actors in a game and it makes a massive difference, of course. Hmm. But, yeah, it's funny with those guys, too, because they're they're famous as voice actors. You know, they're not like, hey, he was on that show that one time, you know, when and then you're in a game. But uh, and it's a totally different skill set, too. But, yeah, those guys are amazing. Hmm. I mean, Nolan North was on Pretty Little Liars. So. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't watch it. I think my wife watched that, and I was like, "Hey, that's Nathan Drake." So, Gavin, let's take it back to your origin story. I want to know how you got into voice acting. Was voice a specific path that you went down, or was it kind of acting and then you fell into it, like a lot of people seem to? No, um, neither one. I was. Oh. Um, I was like. <laughs> always just kind of did voices and heard voices maybe but um <laughs> in your head i watched a lot of cartoons i was raised in the 80s when we would have cartoons from the 40s 50s 60s 70s and 80s on at all time you know and they were only like in the afternoons or saturday mornings before college football started and um mm. it was basically just something that i i always did but i never really thought about it it never occurred to me that it was a job that people did until i was 30 which is kind of funny and sad but uh, i watched <laughs> um the simpsons all the time i i kind of grew up with mel blank and so i grew up and yeah. sort of blown away to realize as a teenager maybe that he did all those voices but i spent probably five or so years of my life watching the simpsons in syndication that was all my wife or my girlfriend at the time. That's all we watched. We would just watch it all the time. We just had videotapes. We had like 30 videotapes of <laughs> Simpsons episodes just from taping them and rewatching them. So I would do voices and, you know, not like mimics, but just appreciating kind of how things were different. Um, I was in a band at the time. So I was traveling around, um, traveling around the world, playing music. Um, in a band called Dancehall Crashers, which was a ska band in the 1990s. Dude, I'm, I know those guys. <laughs> oh, hey, right on. We played in Australia. Yeah, did you play with Tim Armstrong? Uh, sort of. Tim uh, actually started the band. Tim yeah. and Matt started the band um, around the time that Op Ivy existed. They were in a band called Downfall as well with my brother, Jason Hammond. Um, and uh, he was in Dance Hall Crashers. They sort of asked him to join the band. Uh, they never really were in it for very long. It was more mm. just they wanted to start a ska band and knew a bunch of people because it was the East Bay, uh, the, yeah. like Berkeley, California, you know, in uh, in the 1990s. Um, I was 17 when I joined the band, and I just joined because my brother played guitar and wrote a lot of the music. Um, but I did that throughout most of the 1990s, and then... Um, we sort of stopped. We were playing the same venues and the same tours and stuff, and people were just kind of getting burned out. My brother had had his first daughter, so he was kind of tired of not being around his family anymore. And then we all just sort of went our separate ways and uh, just kind of did different things. And um, 
I was working in construction, honestly, going to school. And my dad called me and was like, hey, there's some lady on the radio that has a voiceover school, you know, because I would talk in like I I didn't do like impressions, but I would talk in accents and stuff like that and just kind of do voices. I'm sure it was irritating as hell to everybody. (laughs) Um, And then I turned the radio on and listened to Samantha Paris, who had uh, founded the voice tracks um, voiceover school. And I went and took some classes. And um, for a few years, and I thought, oh, man, I could totally do this. And I wasn't really getting opportunities. They did a little bit of casting, but it was like without an agent, you don't really have any opportunities to do stuff. Um, I was very discouraged. And my wife then at the time said, um, give it five years and just kind of focus on classes that will help you get work. And I did. And I got signed with my agent, Stars, in, in San Francisco and then eventually with my agent, Atlas, in Los Angeles, and um, just kind of eventually started to work and was like, holy cow, this is great. And being in the Bay Area, I have to be able to do a lot of different kinds of things. I can't just be a commercial guy. I have to be able to do video games or do toys or do boring corporate videos or educational, you know, narration yeah. sort of stuff, whatever. And um, I just really kind of embraced it. And it's just it's fun. I like having to or getting to do lots of different kinds of work. Um, these days, I'm getting to do a lot more of it from home, which is fantastic. Um, and yeah, it's just really fun. But I, I came from really never having a real job, you know, just being sort of a itinerant musician, you know, weirdo hobo guy. And uh, eventually fell into doing something I probably I feel like I was really born to do. I can't imagine being able to do anything else. So that's really cool. And I'm I'm always interested when people change careers after not establishing previous careers, but you've certainly come from a unique place. Like for example, Sissy came from a very corporate world of yeah, you know, tech and all all this stuff. So for you to be in a scar band, like first of all, we can't just gloss over this <laughs> thing. I want I want to talk a little bit about that. Sure. But do you feel like that pers- that that kind of previous experiences influenced the way that you were able to approach voice acting, whether it was in certain characters or in even just the experience of of those kinds of grinds? Oh, well, it's, I think it's just more that we all come from someplace. There are very few people that I've met. I'm sure there's you know, a lot more of them in Los Angeles who were actors who who either gravitated towards voiceover or are just very good at it. Um, I was one of those weirdos that came from someplace else. Um, like Sissy, there's a lot of musicians I know that do the same sort of thing that just kind of like, hey, I get to do this just with my voice, you know, and was where I, I don't do any on camera. I mean, unless it's performance capture and even then I don't love doing it, but I'm not, you know, they're not filming me to try to have me you know sell the shot they're filming me for just authenticity's sake but you know i really don't do anything you know on camera I, i'm still an actor i tell people that i'm a, a voice actor but uh, i think we all just come from a place unless you know you really are an actor and you just came and turned it around which is kind of what melissa did melissa came from like a hmm. theater background and you know did on camera stuff um I, I came from a theater background as well. I did, you know, in high school and college, and I sang a lot. I took a lot of voice lessons as a singer. So I, I do have that sort of a, you know, that strength background in, in terms of uh, vocal 
performance, but yeah, we all just kind of do seem to gravitate toward it. And it's such a great job if you can do it that, you know, it, it it's funny that it's, there's no sort of one path that anybody mm, seems yeah. to take. And I, I mean, I found it later in life. I was 30, you know, when I started working and started doing stuff, I was 30, like two. Um, I think Sissy was also later in life. She's only 27. So I think maybe she was like, you know, like 24 when she started or something. <laughs> I hope she listens to this. <laughs> we'll have to send her a link just, just for the compliments. Just for that. Uh, <laughs> so, Scar, I'm I'm a big fan. Oh, I'm right on. A big fan of Less Than Jake, Real Big Fish, Operation oh, cool. Ivy, these kinds of yes. kind of iconic bands I know all those guys. 90s. Yeah. yeah. And, like, do you literally know them? Like, did you tour with these guys? I'm interested in oh, this yeah, whole yeah. scene. Um, so we, uh, Dance Hall Crashers, we did pretty well. We were, um, uh, I don't know how many records we sold, but we were around and touring with uh, Blink when they were Blink. Yeah. Um, and No Doubt, um, we did a lot of shows with No Doubt in California and Sublime. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, we knew Sublime pretty well. We A lot of punk bands. So we toured with mm. No Effects and Bad Religion. We would do a lot of radio festivals where we would end up playing with, you know, Beck and whatnot. And we knew, um, totally know you know, Tim and Matt and, you know, the guys from Rancid. And I've never met the guys from Op Ivy. Um, I've met Dave, Dave Mello, just because we're drummers and I love him. Um, but I know that, you know, my my brother knows all those guys because he was playing punk shows, you know, in the same time. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, we just kind of came from the same place. We did tour a lot with we did tons of shows with Real Big Fish um, and some with Less Than Jake. Uh, a lot of those other punk bands and like you know we were on the warp tour so we saw a lot of those guys uh goldfinger and mxpx and ah you know it, it was long it was a That's long awesome. time and it's a lot of ads <laughs> you're talking about all my favorite bands oh good like, yeah like blink is my all-time favorite band and oh yeah i don't know if people know this uh, but the song Josie, you guys get a name check in there. Yes. Of, oh. uh, my girlfriend likes UL and DHC, and that's you guys. And who's, who's UL? That's Unwritten Law. Very nice. Very nicely done. <laughs> I've yeah, done my homework. We uh, we toured with Bad Religion and, un and Unwritten Law, oh, God, for like seven, eight or nine weeks or something through. Uh, it went on for days. But, uh, yeah, pretty fun. I mean, uh, the Unwritten Law guys are awesome. Um, I love yeah, Wade. I love Wade, their drummer, is somebody that I love and totally respect very deeply. I still have a symbol that he gave me because he didn't like it. <laughs> it was like a little splash symbol. And he's like, yeah, you play all that shit with those little symbols. So here, just take it. <laughs> like, thanks, Wade. He was funny. He used to go um, out into the crowd because we were, you know, a punk band or a, a ska punk band with two female singers. So we would mm. do these shows where we would play with like Bad Religion or something like that, where they'd just be, you know, a bunch of 12 to 19 year old dudes, you know, doing every offensive gesture, spitting mm -hmm. anything they could do because there's two girls on stage. You know, we were right before right. we were the um, the support act. So, you know, Unwritten Law would open, we'd, we'd play and then Bad Religion would play. And um, Wade used to go out in the crowd and he would like go up behind guys and like grab them and, or punch them. It's pretty good. And then he'd get like tossed. They'd grab him and throw him out and he would like pull his laminate out and just like walk back in. That's oh, awesome. It's good times. So I have to ask, 
just because I don't get the chance to ask this. What were uh, what was it like playing with Blink back then? What were those dudes, Mark and Tom specifically, like as Blink? Um, they were cool. They, I mean, we played with them um, back when Scott was their drummer. Yeah. And then whatever happened to Scott when he wasn't their drummer, that when we were playing at the Henry J. Kaiser and like Travis showed up. Stepped um, up, yeah. <laughs> and they played all the songs in the backstage of the Henry J. Kaiser in Oakland, which was surreal to begin with. Um, they were cool. I, <clears throat> I have, uh, actually they played, uh, I think it was Tom. And mm. this may have actually had like a very profound effect on what he's doing right now but they play he played and scott played the aliens in our video for go (laughs) and because we get abducted by aliens in that video it's really fun to make um but they were the aliens um scott and mark um i don't think it was tom i don't think no i'm sorry it was scott and it was tom yes okay it was the guy that made the suits was like a very famous like alien abductee so he felt like the suits that he had created were extremely accurate so there's like a documentary about him and about making the video and making the suits um but Mm. yeah it was neat because they were they were in the suits and i wonder if that had some impact on tom which would be crazy (laughs) i know right i'd feel really bad but it would be elise's fault not mine so maybe karina's no i think he's always been obsessed with aliens that's fine yeah, but no, they so were cool. We went to Alaska with them. There was that one um, tour where Fletcher from Pennywise like tormented them, like knocked their door down at this hotel in in Alaska. That was on the tour with us. It was pretty funny. Wow. And you would have played with Travis when he was in the Aquabats, I'm guessing. Yeah, we did. We we definitely played with the Aquabats a few times, maybe on like a like a thing in San Diego where it would be like a New Year's Eve show. We did that three or four times and they probably would have played that i'm sure we played other shows with them too in southern california somewhere um mm. i couldn't tell you when or where though that's cool i mean i could talk about this all day but we've probably got some like video game fans listening asking what, what are they talking about so that's fine what else? <laughs> we'll uh we'll continue after the recording but gavin I want to go through, I guess, like you mentioned this path into into voice acting. Was there a point that you hit where things got easier for you? Or is it still at that point where, as I know from talking to other voice actors, you pretty much always still have to knock down doors to get big roles and you're competing with a lot of very talented people, as you mentioned before? Um, Yeah, it's definitely... You're always needing to be working. There are certain things that come in where I, uh, and it's probably the way that I would answer that would be, I have um, sort of established enough of a system in just in terms of how I record and how I audition things and how I go through it that I can make the process of recording pretty efficient and quick, which has made me pretty efficient and quick in session. So I can kind of just approach hopefully you know most kinds of things and tell what it is pretty quickly from looking at it and just deliver what is at least competitive it may not be the absolute best or the thing that's going to get me the job but it's it's hopefully not going to be something where they hear it and like just turn it off and never you know never listen to me again um but you do have to keep sort of focused on what you want to do i don't go out of my way to try to you know 
like pursue the biggest role or anything like that. My goals kind of day to day are to work and, you know, be able to provide for my family and do the best I can. Um, I'm not trying to, you know, I don't want to be, you know, hugely successful and famous, you know, where I'm really kind of out there and need to be sort of careful about what role I take or what I do or what I don't. I'm just happy if there's a job today. Awesome. You know, and if I can get through it and just do what I can, you know, play with my dogs, you know, grow tomatoes and, you know, like roast peppers, then I'm really happy. So I, you do have to be out there. If you want to be on somebody's list where they're going to think of you for the you know, the number one role or that next big thing, that huge gig. And and those are cool. Those gigs are a ton of work. And you've generally got to be someplace on location. You've got to be there for a while. You've got lots of mocap and all that sort of stuff. And I mean, that's awesome. If I were cast in a situation like that, I would step up and do the best job, you know, that I could. Um, but it's, uh, it's just kind of when I, I just take the opportunities as they come and mm try to make sure I'm delivering a good product for every client. Yeah, absolutely. And before we completely move on from, I guess, the musical side of your career, in that transition from, I guess, dancehall crashes and into construction and and voice acting and and whatever, was it hard to walk away from a, I guess, industry and community and scene that you were a pretty big part of and fairly successful in? Or was your time simply up in terms of music? Because I imagine like it would be tempting to, you know, start another band or try and work as a sessions drummer or whatever it might be that keeps you in the music industry. If that's what you love, which obviously you did because you did it for so long. Well, I mean, I still play. Um, I still play mostly with friends and we do shows for fun. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, no, I, I kind of thought about trying to do session um session like trying to be a session drummer um i you know i don't know how successful i would be at it and it would be generally more traveling i would be probably not at the tier of the you know really sort of sought after guys to record um but i'm consistent so i could probably find gigs touring but it's like i had just been touring for 10 years I didn't want to continue touring for me it was I was I was excited to you know to try to do something else and I mean certainly working in construction or working in retail or at a coffee shop or none of those were those were all sort of just means to pay rent and whatnot Um, but once I sort of had an idea what it would you know what was available as like doing voiceover you know I, I I was sort of excited to to do that. And I mean, you know, you, you're always part of a community. So it's like, I still see people that I toured with, you know, because they're still out there touring or they're working in some other aspect of, of showbiz, or they're just doing something completely different. We're just friends on Instagram or Facebook or something. Um, I I don't think you ever really leave any community and it's, you know, having that met so many, you know, some of my very favorite people, you know, that are my friends now in, you know, in voiceover, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. I don't really miss it. I don't miss touring. Mm. And I don't know that everybody in the band wants to get back together to do anything. Um, 
we still get a lot of people that ask us to, and we still have (laughs) other bands that would like us to and labels encouraging us to do stuff. And I mean, I can still play most of the songs, maybe not as fast, (laughs) but um, but I I just don't know if it's something everybody wants to do. Yeah, it's funny because the world, I guess, as far as the mainstream goes, has completely moved on from Scar. But then you have these people that grew up with it, like me, who... Oh, no, it's back, man. It's totally back right now. It's on commercials (laughs) and in movies and stuff. It's totally making a a big resurgence. There's a lot of it in the States right now, especially. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I haven't... I mean, I don't listen to the radio and stuff, so maybe it's happening and I'm missing it. But what is it, like fourth wave Scar or something? I don't even know. I don't know if it's new or anything, but it's still a lot of those same bands are just still out there and stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say like that's the thing. Like if if I wanted to go to a scar show, like I'm oh, sure you could. Listen, Jake are touring this year, or like they're coming down for a festival or something. So oh yeah, I know it's crazy. They're still going. They've been playing for thirty years. They're like all in their forties, and it's great. Yeah, I know the Interrupters are still playing. I think Real Big Fish is still playing. I think Goldfinger's still out there. Um, yeah, and uh, I know Hepcat still tours too. That was one of my very very favorite ska bands, mm. um, and I know they're still out there doing so stuff as dance, well dance hall crashes reunion tour is that something you'd put your hand up for uh it depends on the on where we would go and and what we would do i mean if we like sure. if we wanted to go back to hawaii because we used to play in hawaii for <laughs> 2500 people we played the big melee with no doubt and the presidents of the usa and cypress hill that was for like probably 20,000 people i would go in a heartbeat to hawaii or new york or la or Japan, sure. Yeah, I'd go. Why not? As long as I could get, you know, not too many days off from, from work. So Sure. Well, if they, if they ever come down to Australia, I'll have to turn up and, and say hi. That'd be fun. Sure. We did. Right. We, we played there with uh, No Use for a Name. Oh, yeah, man. 1990. I was, it, was, it was in 2000. That's the year I bought my house and got married. It was in Ju- uh, May or June of 2000. You were probably like four. No, 13. 13. Wow. Yeah. Too young to hike it up to Melbourne for, for a scar show. But we went all the way up and down the coast. We did, well, you know, whatever that means. We did two inches on the map, you know, from yeah. Sydney. We played Gold Coast, Adelaide. It was really it was, fun. Yeah. It, was, it was great. Tour. Awesome. Okay. So I'm going to play an IMDB game here and we'll go through some of your oh God. video game roles and sure. we can just talk about your experiences with each one. Uh, but but first of all, I just have to ask about something I see here and it, maybe it's to do with dancehall crashes, but were you in Biodome? With uh, no, my, my song was. Uh, right. There's like a montage okay. <laughs> to one of our songs called Don't Want to Behave. Yes, I know that one. <laughs> Same with Home Very Alone cool. 3. Anything that shows up, yeah. it should show up as a soundtrack. It makes it look like you've been working and uh, acting for a lot longer than you have. <laughs> I know, yes. No, no, it's the soundtrack. Okay, so The Walking Dead, very possibly your most well-known role as Kenny, would you say? Most definitely, most definitely. So tell me about how that came about and I guess that experience of being in what was quite an incredible game and still held up as kind of one of the archetypes for that style of game. As much as games and engines and developers have kind of evolved since what Telltale did on that game, the, the effect it had on narrative and player choice and agency is something that I think it was a first for a lot of people. Yeah, I think it was a definitely a first for us. Um, but mm. we, we had been doing that, you know, we had been working on stuff like that for Telltale. 
Um, yeah. Like we did like some law. I I did. I mean, oh, like, you were in uh, Monkey Island. That was the first one I was going to ask about. I was. Stan. I, yeah. Prior to that, I I, rep- I reprised Stan um, from previous versions of the game. That was a lot of fun because it was basically me trying to do my Phil Hartman. Yeah, just talking um, fast. But prior to that too, we had done like CSI, Law and Order. I think those came before. Um, they had done a Sam and Max game, and I was a huge fan of Steve Purcell and the Sam and Max comics because I worked in a comic shop for for ten years um, during that same that same period where I was in construction. But um, he uh, was a huge hero of mine. I loved it, so I really wanted to work on that. I never got to, um, but uh, so I knew who they were. And so I was excited anytime something came through because their packets always looked different than everybody else. And um, generally these days you get two kinds of video game scripts. Um, Back in the day, we only got one kind, which was usually just like, this is your movement line. This is your attack line. This is a line where you die. It was pretty (laughs) much action-based stuff and there wasn't a lot of real narrative stuff. So when this came along, it was definitely narrative scenes. It was written or it was at least composed like a screenplay. Their audition packets were always huge. They always had like 15 characters in them. Um, You know, you'd usually get maybe two days to do them, which was pretty rare in back in the day when we were just all starting to audition from home, not like schlepping out to the agency every day in in order to read a video game. Um, and they were only casting and recording at the time in the Bay Area. So they were ours. You know what I mean? It wasn't like going to L.A. to work for Activision or, you know, Redwood City to work for EA or something like that. Like Telltale was was casting where we were. Um, they started to expand a bit when they couldn't find what they needed in the Bay Area. Um, but uh, for us, it was it was something that we got to see, which was cool because we knew you wouldn't have to go down to L.A. or go someplace else. You'd just go up to Jory's. You know, you would drive out to Fairfax. But um, so when we anytime that came through, I would give it extra time. I would try to go. And I think I read for all the male characters except Lee because Lee was listed as African-American. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, not reading that because yeah. <laughs> I, I know I know guys that are not African-American that did, did read it or would read it. Um, I am not one of those people. Um, but, and then I remember that a lot of the characters, um, Telltale was notorious for, and I can say all this stuff now because they're gone, <laughs> uh, was notorious for what sometimes our agents would refer to as abuse of casting where they would send a character out 15 times. They would um, send a character out. No, everybody's wrong. And then they would send it out again. No, nobody's doing it. And then they would send it out again. And just uh, the specs wouldn't necessarily change, but they'd always want different reads, different takes. It wasn't quite right. It wasn't quite this, quite that. Um, and a lot, I saw a lot of those characters and a lot of those parts coming back over and over and over again. Is that like a perfectionism type thing where they're looking for the right person or? I don't know. Um, I, I wonder, I think it's, there's an aspect to it that I would say there, if you're going to be so specific about what you're looking for, then you're not open to what you see. Where okay. I think that it it was just like I know what it's what it's gonna what it needs to sound like, and it's up to us to try to find out what that is. But that limits what it could sound like. Um, but 
Yeah. Anyway. It also seems like it's something where they could just pick someone and then direct that person to do it the way they <laughs> want them to. But you'd, hey. you'd think. But um, <laughs> no, and I mean, it's it's so uh, something that people may not realize or may not know or didn't ever think about is that casting is free. It's like if you go to a talent agency and you say, I got these 19 video game characters, find them for me. They send it out to their actors, so they're putting people on notice or bringing people in or sending them out the emails, formatting the emails for the client, sending it all out, packeting it, sending it to this person, that person, this person, that person, or this whole list of these 35 guys, these 22 women, these like 19 African-American men, these 15 African-American women, this one, you know, Korean kid, just like whatever they have on their roster, and then... They send it all out. We read it at home on our time, you know, after work in the middle of the night, sometimes early in the morning and send it back to them. So that process of going through all of that, that's people were working. We're doing that. We're not getting paid. They're not getting paid. The agency's doing it for free just in hopes of having somebody from their agency get hired to do it. So to send something out many, 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 many times, um, and I've had characters that I was reading for them where I didn't end up booking the role, but I read them 15 times. There was one uh. one particular character that I read 15 times. I read it with other people. I read it um, like dialogues. I read it different ways, different accents, and it just kept coming back, changing it. It's really close, you know, and I knew the guy who was in charge of the casting, and he's like, dude... I'm so sorry, you know, but <laughs> this is what they're saying. I have to did do you get it. it. Did yeah. you get the role? Uh, I did not. Well, I did, and then they ended up using somebody different, uh, which was totally okay with me. Um, it right. was quite all right. Um, but um, <laughs> but I, all that stuff coming back. So Kenny never Kenny. came back. He never came back as like a multiple casting or anything. I I read I read it once. I'm sure everybody else read it once. And I guess they liked what I had done from the beginning, and so they just cast me, and as far as I knew, I was just him, which was pretty cool, mm -hmm. not having to do it over and over and over again. Yeah. And then there was a lot of tweaking with it, too, um, just because there was always tweaking with Telltale. Uh, the story would change, and um, as an episodic game, you would think that you would have your whole story written, and then you would you would have it like separated into five acts, which was not very often how it would work. Um, we would have the first, the first act and then maybe it ends up going someplace else in the second act. So we have to go back and re-record what we had just done yeah. on the first one. Um, we did that a lot, uh, which is great for us because, you know, we would get paid for every session. So it's like, um, I think on the walking dead uh, season two, it just, they kept changing the whole thing with, you know, who's the bad guy, uh, whether it's Kenny, right. whether it's Carver, uh, <laughs> whether it's Jane, how it all plays out. Not enough people are killing Kenny, so we need people, people to kill him. And just like it was tweaked over and over and over again, which was extremely lucrative. Um, that was also, <laughs> for me, happening during a time where I was recording 15 to 20 hours a week um, making Furbies. So oh, that wow. went on for maybe seven or eight months doing, <laughs> doing Furby went on off and on for five or six years. But, um, and it was a lot of, a lot of time, anytime you have that much recording. So I would have to go from one end of the Bay area to the other 
in order mm. to do both sessions. And they could not be further apart in the in like the San Francisco Bay Area, which would generally could take me like three hours to go, you know, 80 miles to get from one to the other. So I was pretty Good. tired at that point. <laughs> I'd get to Jory's at three and just be like, what are we doing? Why are we here? And you're like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, it, it, not enough people were killing him. So we're going to tweak this one scene. It's like, oh, fine. Kind of works for the character, though. Kenny's, you know, a tired sounding it, guy. He was pretty exhausted. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that was just uh, was just method acting on my part where I was just <laughs> exhausted. And then, like, it must have been fun to do the voice of Kenny because it's so different from your own voice, right? It's I don't even know. I, I, I to me, it sounds like me just with like a light Southern accent. And like, I get pretty much anytime I'm in anything else or do anything else that people hear, they, they say invariably, Oh, sounds like Kenny. And I'm like, God <laughs> damn it. I, I mean, you know, the, the best compliment you could ever pay to a voice actor is like, wow, that doesn't sound anything like you. I'm like, thank you very much. Well, I was just about to say it, it, it doesn't to my ears. Like I, I hear like a Californian accent when I talk to you and obviously it's a different accent, but for uh, sure. It's not, it's, it's not like, um, I don't know. I just don't hear Kenny when I'm talking to you right now, you know? No, <laughs> no, probably not. Um, which is good. You know, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to like, it would make me feel so bummed out if basically that was the perception or if I was feeling like that was the only thing I could do. That would just be so disappointing because, you know, I, I like to be able to do lots of different kinds of things. I don't want to just sound like the same thing all the time. Even, you know, I, I guess it's lucrative. You can certainly be successful doing that. But mm. I, I want to... works for Dave Fennoy, right? Uh, yeah, but he can mix it up, though. I mean, he's got a lot of voices in him. But I mean... He does have, yeah, but he does have a voice that you hear and you're like, oh, it's Dave Fennoy. Like, yeah. You no, can't I, mistake it. <laughs> I know Dave when I hear Dave. I know Sissy when I hear Sissy. I, I feel like I know Melissa when I hear her. I think I heard her earlier today when I was peeking around on the YouTubes. Um, okay. But I also feel like I've got a like a, enough of an ear that I can identify him. Owen Thomas, right. too. I know Owen when I hear him. Unless he's doing... He's got a weird textural and you know uh, a uh, an accent thing he can do where I'm like and I'm like I would not have even thought that was him. And so the success of that first game, especially with The Walking Dead, did that take you by surprise? Like I mean, you knew that it was a probably a good script, but to see the community embrace it so much. Yeah, we knew it was a good script. We didn't know. Um, I didn't know Jake and Sean um, at the at the time, and so. When we I, when we read it, I was like, "Yeah, this is cool, man. This is really different than anything we've done. It's like a, it's like a story. It's really neat, and it's cool that there's different choices, you know. And I could compartmentalize that pretty well, and I'd be like, "All oh, right, so if you don't give the food to Duck, then he's mad," and they'd be like, "Oh, yeah, they're looking back through context." And I'm like, I, "Don't worry about it. I remember what we did, and you know, I can I can totally figure out where to go with this." Um, so I think when the first episode came out. And people were like, wow, what is this? We were all like, oh, no, because it was like, what do, what do we do? And so there was a lot of retooling and just kind of, you know, thinking about where we were going to go to make sure that everything I think that was going to happen. And I mean, I'm saying we as though I were involved even remotely <laughs> in any of these decisions. But I think what Telltale did is they they thought, OK, this is a hit and this is really kind of putting a spotlight on us. We need to make sure that narrative is what sings here 
And they had excellent writers, excellent um, artists, ex- excellent like chore folk that were just sort of putting the chores together. Uh, excellent director and probably the best audio engineer I've ever met in my life. Uh, may wow. he rest in peace, Jory Prune. But um, just really such great people, good direction from Julian Kwasniewski, just one of the the best people. And he had some heavy stuff going on in his life for some of that as well, but he's such a, a fantastic guy. He and I still work together all the time. We did We did some game. We did something last week. What was that? <laughs> oh, I can't say what it is anyway, but uh, I remember what it is stranding. now. It was not that. No, <laughs> that I can't imagine they'd let me record from home, but I don't know. They should. No, that looks neat though, doesn't it? I really still have no idea what it is. Yeah, I hope it's not too. like No Man's Sky where it's just like, oh, it's just weird and there's a baby yeah. on you. But uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure it will be weird, but hopefully it's more than just weird. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, so before we move on from Kenny, I, w- I want to talk about that character. It's such an interesting one to me because in one sense, if you are on Kenny's side, he's like a champion. He's your best friend. But as soon as you do one single thing, he turns into a complete jerk. Uh, and yeah. I think re- regardless of whether he, you end the first season with him being a jerk or your best friend, you're so happy to see him in season two. And like what what was your read on him as a character and what did you try and bring to those kinds of two faces of Kenny? Well, I, I knew that we were going to have the dichotomy that it was either hot or cold and they were pretty, you know, uh, they were pretty dialed up, you know, and I think they mm. didn't want them to be too lukewarm in either direction. I think like the positivity, they wanted it to just be really genuine and the negativity to just be pretty cold. So I think it just kind of it comes off like, you know, oh, he's just now all of a sudden he hates me because it was like, I don't <laughs> think there was a system built in for like, yes, you, you want, did yeah. these three things well, but these last two he's going to remember, you know, it was it was kind of like either mm. on or off for you. Um, for me, I just I tried to just bring to it that he's a family man and he's in a tough circumstance and he's got a he's got through it. Oh, my phone, my my watch is talking to me. I'm not talking <laughs> to you. Um, but I think it was just trying to make him human. Uh, honestly, he it was so well written that all I really wanted to do was just to get the words off the page so that you believed him. I figure mm. as long as you believe him then they're good. They're really good words. So my job is just to make sure that, you know, you you buy that that, that dude with the mullet is saying them. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is and really like he, the goal for anything. Any any voiceover work is just, you just have to be credible. Sure. And I guess like he goes through so much trauma in that game that you kind yeah. of understand everything that uh, every decision he makes. But when you were able to come back for the second season, how, how important do you think it was to have Kenny featured there? Because apart from Melissa, I'd say you've, you've got uh, the most, uh, you're in the most episodes of, of the entire franchise. Yeah, I, I guess I probably am, um, which is wild. Um, yeah, it was cool to come back. I knew he was going to come back because they had told me that. Um they told me cause, so when we when we finished um, season one, um, we had recorded Kenny dying. He tries to go and save either Duck or whoever he was saving when he falls like down the roof. 
Ah, uh, Ben, thank you. Um, yeah. But there's another one too where he falls down. Um, not the th- the thing where Ben gets impaled, but the other one he like falls in a roof. To be honest, I didn't play that one. Um, <laughs> but um, either way, he died. It was like he he you heard him die, and we did all kinds of you know death rattles and him getting torn apart and you know that whole thing. Um, which we often do. It's a video game session. It's like, even if it's The Walking Dead, it's like, oh yeah, at the end of the session, we need uh, efforts of you being on fire, choking on your own blood. Okay, go. But um, it's a video game session. Yes, of course. Of course you need that. Um, but uh, it, he was gone. And and then I remember that we kind of, they tooled it a little bit differently and they just wanted it to be sort of ambiguous so they just had Mm. me come back and do some kind of efforts and stuff but they never said to me oh yeah no he doesn't die and then at the rap party when we went and i think we were at sweetwater in in uh, mill valley which was really cool but um uh sean vanneman comes up to me and he's like i erased all of your death audio and i was like (laughs) oh (laughs) cool he's like i deleted all of it and then, like, Jory, who was standing there, of course, turns to me and he's like, I still have it all. Because, of course, he did. <laughs> so um, just know your role. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I did not know what was going to happen. But I knew that Vanneman wanted it to be open-ended or at least ambiguous. And then they told me as they were starting to develop season two what was going to happen. And they're all, you'll probably come in episode two. And they just wanted to kind of figure out what the voice was going to be and it was just going to be a little more gruff and I think I went like like this and they're like yeah that's perfect and it's so it was something like that and and then we just uh, as the episode came up but that was the first line that I recorded for the second episode which was like you know him saying like Clementine or whatever it was something like that and um <laughs> it was so great and they like I think we did three takes of it and Julian was like oh, that's just perfect and so we just moved on to the next line which was pretty cool and I guess the the ending of that game is one that's varied because, as you mentioned before, there's ways that Kenny can live, there's ways that Kenny can die. Ah, spoilers! And, Sorry, I mean, I already ruined it. It's it's been out for a while, but you already yeah. ruined it. So I did. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not a spoiler because it's one or the other. That's the great thing. It's true. And, and uh, I guess the ending that I got, I felt was it should have been the true ending because it gave Kenny the moment that he deserved, I thought. Like, as someone that had been through the whole of the two seasons, you know, with him and, and him getting a chance to, to make her. the sacrifice to yep. to send uh, Clem and uh, AJ into the Wellington or whatever it was called, like, yes. into the fortress. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was, for me, the, the perfect ending to his story, not Clem's story, I guess, but... Uh, did you I feel totally like that agree. was the canon ending? Yeah, I totally. Well, I mean, no. I mean, there is no <laughs> canon ending. The canon ending is what you played. Um, yeah, but in your heart, it's the canon ending. Right? That's the one. Like when <laughs> when I have been asked to like do playthroughs of that because I don't mm. play things that I work on. Um, sometimes I do. It's pretty rare, and it's got to be a game I really want to play. That's like a a style I really like because I don't love hearing myself in in a game. Like, it just takes me right out of whatever we're doing. Anyway, so if I when I've been asked to play that, that's generally like the ending I have gone for. Or usually, it's like I'm there with somebody else who's kind of like, "No, we have to do that one because that's it's so beautiful." But no, for me, I I love that ending, and that was um some of the the some of the proudest work I think I've done for a game 
um, it was such a great scene to do. And um, it was really cool. I love the writing on it. I love the way he just kind of calls out to the wall to, I think it was Rebecca Schweitzer, but um, calls out to whoever it is that's on the wall. Um, it, it meant a lot to me. I thought it was a, a great opportunity and a great scene where I could really kind of, you know, act. It's cool. It's it's rare to get to do that, you know, in a game. So it, it really was such a, a tremendous opportunity, you know, to, to get to work yeah. on it and get to do that. Yeah, I guess you'd, you'd got to be a psychopath at different points in the game. and Yeah, which is also of... super fun. <laughs> yeah, but yep. that was a real kind of like an Oscar scene, I guess. Oh, I, it was a scene that was <laughs> felt good to do. It's, yeah. it's kind of you to say that, but... Um... It was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, I, I use that in like the Wayne's World sense, you know, ah, where yes, he's splashing yes, the water yes. on his eyes. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> so um, the next game on the IMDb list I want to talk about is Oxenfree. Which oh, yeah, yeah. It's a game I finished like four or five times because I wanted to get the Platinum Trophy and I oh, nice. made like one or two wrong choices that meant I had to replay the whole thing. Oh, but yeah. anyway, I, I've spent a lot of time with it, uh, in other words, and Jonas is one of, I guess, four or five of the main characters there. What was it like to get this game? Because it's such a weird and confusing non-linear, like there's so many different story branches and, and I guess narrative branches that can happen. So is it hard to read a script like that and get a sense for what's actually happening? A little bit. And I would have to ask them um, just because so much of it was just uh, dialogue and it was, you know, situational dialogue where something might be happening. Um, that was a game that I got to record from home, which was awesome. So we would do sessions for that. Uh, and I would be in this very little space where I'm at right now. Different microphone. <laughs> but um, it was a lot of fun. I don't recall if I auditioned for it or if they just offered um, – us the parts like if they offered Aaron and myself the parts I don't remember um but I knew I'd met Adam working on um on uh well, I want to say it wasn't fables but it was uh, wolf among us uh just mm. briefly and I met Sean Crankle um I think through that I don't know that I had known him before but um that was super fun cuz I could tell from reading it that they knew what they were doing and that the writing was good and I loved the idea of it. They kind of, you know, told me more about it as we were working on it. And a lot of it I I didn't know or didn't understand until, you know, we sort of got into it, which is never really like a big problem for me if I don't get it, as long as they tell me like what I, you know, like what the motivation is or like where the, you know, where the intention's coming from that it doesn't really matter so much. It's like, eh, you don't need to tell me specifically who he is or what he does, you know. <laughs> Just give me an idea kind of what he sounds like and I'll, I'll get through it unless I'm super wrong. But it's super fun to work on. Yeah, I was going to say, is playing a teenager a unique challenge to you as someone that was probably, I don't know, like in your 40s at that point? Hey! Yeah, I am. That's true. I just <laughs> I just turned 46 like two days ago. Yeah. Um, but uh no, I don't think so. But I mean, if so. you can play a teenager convincingly, then that says something about your I hope I could. range and it comes down I guess to the script as well, like giving you the right dialogue, right? Oh yeah, and just having it like an inclination of how to say it that sounds young, you know. Mm. Um I, I don't know. I I guess I I hope I sound teenage. I have a fairly young sounding voice. I can still get pretty grisly and low if I need to. Um, probably not today because I was screaming a bunch earlier. But uh, 
it just um it it's hopefully it was convincing <laughs> i don't know it's not necessarily challenging but there is like an inflection that i tried to keep in mind you know but sure. that's a, lot, a big part of the job anyway depending on no matter what you're doing there's always kind of an inflection that you know i i want to keep in mind for whatever i'm selling or whatever it is we're we're doing and recording um mm. just to try to fit into the same sort of pattern or music of the character sure i mean if if melissa can play an eight-year-old and a 12 year old then you can play a 17 year old I'm sure. it's easier for her because she's a lady <laughs> ladies have, yeah. ladies have a better time doing kids than we do um yeah. especially a lot of the boys that you hear in pretty much any cartoon it's not us um it's usually ladies that are doing them just mm. because they they have a better sort of ability to with that range with the higher pitch they can they can get to the younger kids easier. I can still kind of pitch it up and it's not too bad. So, and it's more just like making sure I don't go down here, you know, or do something yeah. like that. <laughs> um, it's not too bad, but I, I can't do young, young kids. It just, I think it sounds dumb when I, when I well, do it. I won't ask you to do it. <laughs> so we'll move on from Oxen Free to Mutants in Manhattan. I don't know if you were, if you grew up as a fan of the Ninja Turtles, but you oh, got yeah. to be Donatello. That's must he's, have been pretty cool. He's the best one. Um, he's my favorite turtle. No, I grew up reading actually the Eastman and Laird comics. I would buy Tales of the TMA. I would ride my bike to the comic book store down by the the movie store in Concord, California, and uh, and I would buy the like especially the uh, the weird sized ones that like mm. wouldn't fit in any bag. They weren't like a normal <laughs> comic size. They were like a golden age size. They were kind of kind of wild. But no, I was a huge fan and like getting cast as that and I think Nolan was Leonardo or something like that. So getting cast and getting to do it was super fun. There was a bunch of like dancing ADR that we did, which is um a dialogue replacement where they've got the video already made mm. and you have to like do sounds to the video to make it sound like, you know, you're doing, in this case, dance moves. It was super fun. I love that stuff. So uh, it was really cool to work on. And that was, uh, I don't know that it was more than one session, but uh, yeah, he's my, my favorite turtle. So I was, I was pretty stoked. Plus it's like Rob Paulson, you know, it's just the, the, the tiny homage to one of the masters. Yeah. I was just going to say you, referred to it a little earlier but playing stan in monkey island you were doing a role that had been done by a previous voice actor in in previous games but coming into something like donatello that's been done for literally decades by you know some of the best voice actors that there are is is there an element of you know i better not screw this up it's um, and and trying to put your own spin on it as well yeah, I for me, I just have to show up and and say to myself, I'm here for a reason. None of this mm-hmm. is different than anything I've done before. Uh, I'm just I'm gonna go and I'm gonna be efficient and I'm gonna try to do good business and be in the right you know right register and you know take direction well. And you know they'll they'll tell me if I'm wrong and they won't let me do something that's bad. And the faster I get through it, the better job I'm doing. Um, which is just my motto in general. Yeah. Um, so I just try to listen and not psych myself out about being there. Um, I haven't gotten nervous about a voiceover job in, well, 
every now and then if it's something really new or really scary. But um, generally, it just it's not scary anymore. And so I just show up and just try to do whatever it is I do. They they asked me to be there for a reason, so I just yeah. need to show up and you know not be an asshole. <laughs> yeah, I mean. You mentioned playing with your band in front of 20,000 people. Do you feel like sure. these earlier experiences have given you a confidence that why would you be nervous about doing this when you've done all this other stuff before? Yeah, because that, I mean, that's really scary. Like having to be up and playing in front of a, a, a crude, uh, a huge group of people, because generally you can't hear anything. And it's like you'll be up there and like the monitors are always terrible because you're right. I, I'd be playing at a festival. So it's like it's that's not my monitor guy. Maybe it is. But, you know, he's not on that. He's never used that rig before. Um, so scary. It's like voiceover. It's like most of the time there's words in front of you and you just yeah. need to say them. You just need to and get if, them off the page. Like if being, you screw it up, they just tell you to do it again. Yeah, they'd say, hey, um, so on page two, can you read those words oh yeah sorry sorry <laughs> but like playing a show it's like especially being like the drummer and it's like if i can't hear everybody's turned around like everybody in the band is looking at me and then everybody in the in the audience is like why are they looking at him man he must suck you know and then you're just like it's the worst um yeah yeah i don't know if maybe that helped i'm i'm pretty you know i'm a pretty sort of high strung anxious guy anyway I have a I come across as like I'm pretty cool and, and mellow, but you know, that's just because I'm keeping all of the chaos deep inside. Where it belongs. Where it belongs. Where it can't get out. So continuing the IMDB run, we're gonna just run through a bunch here because I guess it's what you call a, additional roles or oh, I don't know if there's yeah. a, a colloquialism for, <clears throat> for these Grunts. Thugs. Grunts, yeah, thugs. So we've got some really cool games. That's just why I wanted to mention them. But Hitman, Far Cry 5, Watch Dogs 2, Red yep. Dead Redemption 2, like being yep. part of these massive, huge games, even though you're not, uh, I guess, a, a key, a named character, is that in itself a, a bit of a thrill and, and just getting to just add some life to those worlds? Yeah, I mean, I I get cast a lot to do to do barks and to do combat stuff and yelling and you know, dying and screaming and whatnot. Uh, yeah, I'm willing to do it. A lot of uh, a lot of my colleagues aren't. Um, I generally don't mind doing. It's not my favorite thing to do because um, video game wise, it's like you are gonna go as much as they let you go, and you can go as fast as they let you go. Um, sometimes a director will be really mindful of not like pushing you too hard or making you mm. do too much for something. But that's not always the case. Um, so you can kind of get yourself into a rhythm. But I um, I worked on a military game. And it was like a, a union one hour, one voice rate means that mm -hmm. it's a half, uh, half of a session fee. But you're only there for an hour. So, And for me, it's kind of like I'm there for an hour. It's like you're going to get an hour of me if that's what you want. you know. And so we were doing single takes of those barks and it was like sniper you know or like over there grenade mm -hmm. or whatever the lines are they're all the same but you know it's something like that and um i remember we just started going through it and i if it's one take and they're not going to stop me it's like i'll stop myself if i screw up you know but i'm gonna go and it's like i'm gonna maybe give you a second or two between each line but it's like you're gonna get a lot of lines and um and i'll mix them up and you know so they don't all sound exactly the same 
And I remember they, they stopped me after like 20 minutes and they're all, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, <laughs> fine, how are you? And, and they're like, oh, we, we're just asking because you're further than anybody got in the hour. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, so what, do you, what does that mean? And they're like, no, we just want to make sure you're okay. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm like, I'm not working tomorrow, so, you know, if I get a little bit, you know, throaty by the end, it's, I'll bounce back, you know, um, and they're like, okay. And so we ended up doing, I believe the final tally was uh, 1,100 lines um, of those barks where I'm just like, I'm going to go. It's like, if you let me go, you know, and all of these lines are short, it's like they're a second and a half each. It's like, yeah, we'll get through it. And I think I did like subsequent sessions for that same game. And I remember at one of them, the director said, like, I'm just going to change my title for this session from director to witness. And I was like, <laughs> that's pretty cool, um, mm. which I thought was kind of funny. But uh, that is funny. It's just something that I don't mind doing it. And I'm happy to to kind of rattle things off. And so I get the opportunity to do those a lot. But, yeah, they're they're generally pretty vocally stressful and they're hard. Um, I don't do them that often. There's a lot of times it's like, if it's a big game and it's a big title, it's good to have that on your IMDb. So I'm, sure. you know, I'm not going to like skip that opportunity, but I might skip other opportunities where they're, you know, not a big deal or it's a game I've never heard of. And I don't really want to mm. do another military thing. Um, sure. Hitman was particularly fun because those are with um, Jamie Mortalero, who's one of my favorite directors in Los Angeles. And he, um, he had a lot of freedom for several rounds of that where we could just kind of make stuff up and we would do a lot of these phone conversations where someone would be like the thug is calling his girlfriend or something or he's trying to get like his poodle groomed and we would just have we would just go with it and we would improv stuff and they'd be ridiculous and like we did probably 10 or 12 sessions on that game it was awesome and they bought what's called integration which means when they pay you basically like an extra session fee and a half or something like that, and then they can use it in another title if they want. It's, so it's they're basically buying it outright, right. uh, which is pretty rad. So you would get, you know, a pretty good session fee, which is uh, a lot of fun. And plus, you know, Jamie's super fun to work with. There was a lot less of that like, you know, because in Hitman, it's, it's, it's not like open combat and like setting people mm -hmm. on fire. It's usually like you kill them quietly. That's the game. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a lot of times it's not super heavy duty and yelly, but sure. there's still a lot of yelling. A lot of people die in video games. Got to scream. And what was it in uh, in Red Dead? Uh, I was the. I believe we were all referred to as the local civilian pedestrian population. Something like that was the title. And I don't know. So is, there, is it a lot of like, what are you looking at and? How do you do, sir? I want to say I was a marshal, like a like okay. a U.S. marshal or like a a sergeant or a lieutenant or something. And it, it was all just Southern. It was just some Southern, you know, hey, you, get down there. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, just like chasing people and yelling at them in Southern accents. I played that one for a little bit. I don't know that I ever heard myself. But every now and then I do, and it scares the hell out of me. Because I'm like, duh, yeah. I know that guy. <laughs> that I started awful. replaying that as I get through it more you know, in between other games I'll keep an ear out because I think uh, I would recognize Kenny in, in, uh, in Red Dead I'm hoping it doesn't sound like Kenny <laughs> but I'm sure it probably does to a lot of people so yeah I mean if, it, if it's a southern accent and it's Gavin Hammond it's not 
well, too it, crazy to think that it will sound similar. It depends on 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 what sort of southern character. If it's just me sure. with a southern accent, um, it might sound like Kenny. Although Kenny was pretty light on the accent from time to time. It depends on who was writing it and who was letting me. <laughs> it depends on who was letting me, you know, sort of improv my own sort of southern lingo. Hmm. Okay. So there's a few questions I ask everybody, Gavin. What's the hardest part of getting to where you are now as far as this this status in your career? Oh, I don't know. Um it was just it was hard to get going initially. Um because it was back in the day we would really have to go to the agency. You were lucky if you got to go to the agency two or three times in a week because that meant they were reading you on multiple things, you know, in during the day. Um these days it's so different, but um it was hard to get started and build a client base and kind of be willing to do whatever it is and read everything and make sure that you were available and that your schedule was flexible because mm. you'd have to go to the agency and you'd read something and then you might hear the next morning at like 10 o'clock, hey, they need you to be at that thing at two. Um, I knew going into wanting to do it that I had to have a lifestyle like that. So at the time I was a stay at home dad when I started, um, my wife had a good job and had health insurance and whatnot. We had just bought a house, which was inexpensive because we were lucky. We found like the last good deal in the Bay area in 2000. <laughs> and, um, and so I was, you know, in a position where all I had to do was take my son and throw him in the car and head out to San Francisco and read something. Uh, which was, you know, not too bad, uh, but it's a lifestyle that I sort of set myself up for and I'm okay with that kind of ambiguity, not really knowing when you're going to work next. Um, but I, I think just kind of surviving it, honestly, um, being able to just maintain the mindset that if people are hiring you, you're working and just keep at it and you know, be cool, do good business, show up on time, don't need anything. Um, if you, if someone wants a contract or something signed, do it, you know, all of the, all of the little details that are so that I can control, you know, I can be on time. It's like, I, I may have talent. I may not, you know, but it's like, but I can be on time. You know, it's like, I, I can, I can show up and not, you know, complain. I don't need a break. You know, it's like, I can, call people back, you know, or I can reply to emails. It's like all of those little things that we can control were things that I was just from the very beginning was trying to do when I was starting to make money. It's like, okay, I'm going to buy a mic. I'm going to buy a preamp. I'm going to spend that money to make a place in my house where I can be and it's quiet. So it's like I could work from home if I, if I could, you know, if there's opportunities to. So it was, I think just more of like building a foundation that made sense from the beginning to wherever I wanted to go. And, and these days it's like, I'm going in different directions. You know, I've done some animation in the past couple of years. I'm doing promo or sizzles or, you know, show narration or something like that. We're getting more opportunities to do different kinds of weird things. And it's really cool. And I love the ver the variety of it. It's like, I don't want to just do video games and be like the, you know, the next Nathan Drake or something like that. You know, I, I would rather, you know, try to just have a wide range of stuff and just be employable. Um, so creating that foundation was the thing that was probably the most difficult, but that's, what's paying yeah. off the most for me at this point. Yeah. So you, you mentioned a few things in there about, <laughs> Sorry. I guess, advice, but what would be your advice to people who want to follow in similar 
footsteps. Um, my advice would be to learn everything that you can about what you are expecting to get out of it. Um, it's a hard job, and it's uh, the work is difficult to do if you're if you don't have the mindset or the skill set to do it. So you need to have that skill set. You need to be able to look at a script and know what it is so that you don't have to ask your agent what it is. Um, so you can research it on your own. I mean, your agent will tell you if you're cool, you know, they'll, they'll definitely walk you through it if it's something really unusual, but taking classes and like knowing what to do and what not to do and, you know, just how to foster a career. Um, it's really difficult, but there's tons of information out there. D. Bradley Baker, who's one of the finest uh, voice actors working in Los Angeles right now, has a website called IWantToBeAVoiceActor.com that has all of the information that you need, you know, to kind of start and know what you're doing. Um, asking one actor or another what they recommend is you're going to get, you know, as many answers as people you ask. But yeah. <laughs> um, you, you have to have a foundation and kind of know what your strengths are and what you can and should be trying to do. It's like I don't read a lot of movie trailer stuff when it comes in if they want like a deep trailer voice because I don't have one. I can do some of that stuff. I can kind of fake it a little bit, you know, but it's like they're going to hire guys like Dave Fenoy to do that because he has those pipes, you know, and I, I don't. Yeah. And so it, just knowing what your strengths are and, you know, accentuating your your strengths and sort of diminishing your weaknesses unless you want to, you know, show them off, which in some cases can be really funny and, and you know, can get you a, a crazy opportunity. It's just kind of knowing how to approach those things. And it just comes with experience and experience is the hard thing to get. But yeah. once you have an agent and you can, you know, you're seeing copy and you're reading things and you're being available to them all the time because they do expect you to be at home. If you're not on the on the chart for working today and they send you something and they say that it's as soon as possible it's like yeah you got to kick it out to them and and get it back because it's like it may be cast within 10 minutes if you don't um it's just the way that you know la works sometimes but sure sure very cool is is there a voice role that you've heard and you've thought oh, i wish i could have auditioned for that or i wish i could have landed it um, anytime, pretty much anytime I hear commercials, I kind of think like, ah, I could have done that, you know, cause it's like <laughs> you get an idea. If it's not a celebrity voice, you're kind of like, oh, you know, it's like, ah, oh. the, the thing that's frustrating about it too, is it's like, that is not at all what they were asking for. You know, it's like, oh, I did read for that and I read the specs and it's like, that's not even remotely what they hired. And it ticks me off because they said they wanted it super conversational. And then it's just like some total announcer. Um, Dude, that is exactly what <laughs> I, I talked to Roger Craig Smith last year oh, yeah. about this, and he's like, "Yeah, they they always say they don't want an an announcery voice, but by the end of the audition, they're like, oh, just turn it up a little bit more, and oh, by yeah. the end of it, it's just like full announcer mode." <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, and I love Roger. I got the pleasure of meeting and working with him on a Lego cartoon. Um, oh yeah. He's and awesome. I, I walked in the room like for that session and I, I, cause they didn't like have me do a callback or anything like that. I just like showed up and it was like James Arnold Taylor, Kari Walgren, Misty Lee, Roger Craig Smith. Um, oh man, Donovan. Oh, I'm forgetting his last name. All people I knew and people I, I'd never met before. And I was like, oh my God, I know who everybody in this room is except for me. And I'm like, this is weird. Um, but super, like super Spider fun. Spider-Man turning up at the Avengers. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I felt that way. <laughs> but um, 
yeah, that was uh, that was pretty rad, and that is kind of the way that all commercial casting tends to go, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, those come up, and you get like opportunities to have good commercial sort of campaigns or something like that, and it's awesome. But uh, no, I don't. I don't listen to games and think like, oh, I could have done that or anything like that. Commercial stuff, you just like, ah, well, I wish I would have known that that's what they were gonna hire. I would have like mm-hmm. at least read for that or read that way. It just depends. Yeah. I just feel like there's some maybe parts or, or games that you think like that would have been fun. I wish I wish I could have. Oh yeah, that. I mean everything would have been fun, you know, because <laughs> pretty much every job is fun. Yeah, so yeah. I certainly like there are things that I would have loved to work on, but I not to take somebody else's paycheck, but just because I would have loved to have been in it. And pretty much any any game from any developer, like I love Bungie, I still play Destiny all the time i love blizzard and like any opportunity to work for them um just stuff like that you know sure cool last question for you gavin if you could do anything and no you wouldn't fail what would you do what in life yeah or in or in fly voice acting i would fly fly. (laughs) yeah Yeah. come on that's a no-brainer i would fly like uh like superman yes absolutely it would change my commute dramatically Mm. Um, i'm more of a teleport guy but that's the whole like see that destination versus the journey that whole like matter like configuration thing that just worries me that's just you don't change (laughs) don't mess with molecules it just seems dangerous but flying can't fail though that's the whole point of the i guess if i couldn't fail having the ability to teleport would would probably just turn me into more of a creep um (laughs) but uh yeah, no, I don't you know. Could, in, in terms of voiceover, I think that uh, it would be really cool to be on an animated show, um, an excellent, funny animated show. It's like the most fun work I've ever done in my life is being in an, in animation sessions. They're hilarious. The people that are that do animation for a living are hilarious. Mm. Um, yeah, so, you know, that'd be pretty cool. But I, at this point, I don't feel like... I feel like I've been around long enough that it's like I've failed plenty of times and I just get back up and keep trying, you know. Failure's not not necessarily a, a negative, you know. It, it can be a, a pretty inspirational thing these yeah. days. I guess that's the mindset you have to have as an actor because you're certainly going to come up against a lot of failure along the way, even when you're successful, right? Yeah, if you don't try, you can't fail. So, but if you, you gotta, you gotta try though. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much, Gavin. It's been enlightening. Uh, I got the bonus <laughs> of, of uh, learning a bit more about the scar scene of the nineties. Oh yeah. yeah it's been really fun. Really fun. Jono, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Audio Technica. You can catch Gavin on Twitter at Gavin Hammond, no D. And if you want to support this podcast, of course, you can leave a five-star review on iTunes or you can get into the 8-Bit Collective's Patreon at patreon.com slash weare8bit. That's A-T-E-B-I-T. And that's where your pledges from as little as $1 a month can make all the difference to keeping the emotional lights on, as we say, and supporting everything happening with the 8-Bit Collective. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Jono himself. Check out Comedy Rewind, and as always, keep putting in work.